So y'all want to jump into chapter three? Anything else you want to cover? I'm ready to Shall jump in. Coach? Yeah. I, I reread it again, so I feel good about myself. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> you feel good about yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you, are you good with that? Good about oh, myself uh, because yeah. I read it. Not, not because I'm necessarily doing all the things that chapter three outlines I should be doing as a leader. <laughs> Let me make that clear. <laughs> yeah. I just checked all the boxes. Yeah. Well, if you were going to check all the boxes, actually, this is a good, this is a good chapter to mm-hmm. be proficient in. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And Igor, you are at the dentist today, so you have some numbing going on. I, I do, so I may be less loquacious than, than usual. Okay. You sound good. That makes me sad. I like your loquaciousness. You. Yeah. I'll do my best. Yeah. It's always good to go to the dentist right before recording an episode. All right. Well, this one is called Build an Envelope of Trust. The uh, the Intuit example at the beginning, I, I reread that. I think I might have glossed over it the first time I read the book. That was interesting, though, where it's just like, hey, we're, there's a disagreement between Bill Campbell and the and the board. Bill wants to set a culture of meeting numbers and not investing in things if you can't afford it. And it all came down to essentially the trust that members of the board placed on on Bill Campbell. And it wasn't whether or not they felt like they were right or wrong. It was just like, okay, we trust Bill to, to do what's right. I thought that was pretty interesting where in situations, it's like, I'm I'm going to divorce from my mind the the facts and my opinion. And it's like the person advocating for this path forward who's in the role, who's on the ground, let's just go with them. And, you know, that that's a huge, huge vote of confidence. And I thought the the ability to, to distill all that down into just trusting the person was really interesting. Yeah, I kind of lingered on that example too. Like I think, well, just this is public knowledge. It's like we have a new CEO coming in. And so we've, we're aware of the responsibility of the board to select the CEO and, and things like that. And so yeah, I really wondered on this. I, I, I think there's so much in the story that we could unpack that that we also don't know. It's like, did the board select and bring in Bill as CEO, or this this board member who finally said, "Hey, we should trust trust the coach." They know? hire and fire the CEO. Yeah, yeah, that was John Doerr also, right? Who did all the OKR stuff at Google? I think mm. that's all the same guy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. So are are you are you saying that he? probably knew him really well because there was this hiring process where John and the board got to see some like Bill and his element and they, they knew what they were getting or like what's the what's the tie-in there? Yeah, I I know I'm not I'm struggling to to figure that out myself. I, I just think there's so many different dynamics that go on. And I, I think that's the the point of the the story is to is talk about the importance at all levels about building trusted relationships. And I, I think it's, I also know because I'm, I'm on the board of a couple of nonprofits, it's hard as a board member to not try to get in the weeds and tell the CEO or staff what to do. That's what managers would do, right? It's like, or that, that's what you feel inclined to do. But I, I, think it's, I think it's a testament to the board in this situation to say, hey, they're their job is to make sure the CEO is thinking through things correctly and arriving at good decisions. 
not to make the decisions for the CEO. And at some point, you've got to, even if you disagree, you've got to stop and say, you know what, we all need to be on the same page here and support the person that we have selected as the CEO and give them our full backing and support. Yeah. Like, I I think that's just important at all levels, even non-board CEO relationships. It's like healthy debate is good, but you have to then all agree and get on the same page that we're going to we're going to let the person who has the responsibility to make this call make the call and and give them our our support. I agree. And and the cool thing about this story is you can ratchet that sort of story or relationship or parable whatever you want to call it down to any level of leadership. Right? If you are a super senior this probably makes sense cuz you have people that report to you that are responsible for these large outcomes, but even if you're a frontline manager and your tech lead wants to go in a certain direction, or you're a tech lead and you're, you're the developer you're supporting wants to implement a certain way, like there, there's a level of this story that makes sense at all of those levels, not just CEO and board, which is yeah. like such a rare thing. Like most people don't don't get into that. We don't, right? And so, I think that's that was very instructive, even even though we're not regularly arguing with the board. Yeah. Yeah. It does also bring bring up like the story for me, the 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 amount of I was gonna say risk, right? But there's there's risk in trusting someone and extending and receiving somebody's trust. It's like it's not apparent in the story, but it's like, hey, the board disagreed with what Bill wanted to do. And yet they said, you know what? We're gonna trust you and we'll let you move forward with what you think is right, even though we think the we have the right answer and you have the wrong answer. It, I don't think it goes on to say, did Bill succeed after that? Or if he failed? But I think along with trust in people, there's risk too. Because you're essentially saying, we trust you to do the right thing. And uh, the right thing may have been the wrong decision. Does that make sense, Igor? Yeah, it, it does. It does take a lot for, for that to, to happen. And I, I think this is pretty early on at Bill's time and into it. And so he probably hasn't had the cycles at that point yet to build the, because trust, trust takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on your personality. But for a lot of people, trust takes time. And I think this is a moment in time where <clears throat> Bill had recently joined into it and has not yet built the trust with the board. Obviously, they trust him because they selected him to be CEO. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's it's pretty early on, and and I think there's there's a story here that's the power of speaking up, because at least the story's pretty short. But from the way that it's told, it seems like John John Dor was like the voice of dissent. Like the board was pretty much unanimous in saying like, "Hey, let's spend through this crisis," and and John spoke up and said, "Hey, why don't we just trust a coach?" And it it also takes a lot of courage to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also it shows the power of speaking up, of like one person like taking a stand <laughs> that may not be popular with the rest of the group, but they take that stand because they believe it's the right thing. And I thought that was a very powerful moment, not <clears throat> not just for Bill, but but for really for John Doerr. That's more it's more of a John Doerr story. 
than, mm. than a Bill Campbell story there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it well, probably shows... The, to tie it... Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it, it It probably just shows the the effectiveness of that board, right? The To create the... They, they have to have trust in each other to create psychological safety, which is what they talk a little bit about later in Chapter 3, too, to where he could feel like he could step up and say that and have his voice heard and considered. And so this is probably all around just a really well-functioning board and CEO relationships. And yeah, there's a lot to unpack, a lot to unpack in this story, which also points later on into the chapter, they talk about the importance of not telling people what to do, but to tell stories and allow the story to be the thing that people can explore and extract learnings from. That's exactly what we're doing now. Yeah, <laughs> With that's the right. opening story of the chapter, it really is kind of a, a brilliant book in that regard and brilliant insight from Bill Campbell. Well, and, and then I think we were headed in the same direction too, that there was trust, Igor, with what you said from the board to Bill, but also Bill spent a lot of time building trust with the board so that when this critical moment came up, he had he had the relationship capital already in the bank that he could cash in on, which I think is important too. It's not just that he showed up one day sight unseen and got all this backing. It's because they had this like emotional level of of trust with him. I like how so the yeah, book the, goes on to define trust in a few ways. Yeah, I was just about to go there. Yeah. 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 The really I'll, I'll academic. Please mm-hmm. do. Yeah, it says that there's an academic defi- definition of willingness to accept vulnerability based upon positive expectations about another's behavior. That sounds very academic. But the book goes on to say that to Bill, trust means keeping your word. Trust means loyalty to each other, to family and friends, to team and company. It means integrity, so being honest and expecting honesty. And it means discretion, if there's more there. I think that was it. Yeah, those constituent elements. So again, trust is such a hard thing to define. There's, I think if you have ideas where this, it gets broken up into these various components and then you can, those are much easier to wrap your head around and and actually improve on through Mm -hmm. behaviors instead of just like this ambiguous idea of trust. Yeah. There's There's also another element of this too. Yeah, so feeling safe to be vulnerable, like psychological safety was tied very closely with trust, which you had just mentioned. I thought that was an interesting tie because that's not exactly how I thought of it before, although it's a trust as a foundation of psychological safety. So I think using those two terms interchangeably is probably more right than not. There's the whole other side of like radical candor, which has been front and center in my mind recently around like being able to deliver really difficult messages and feedback in pursuit of improving people, improving the team, improving the output of the team, those kind of things, even though it's really difficult, no one likes to hear it. And sometimes there's a culture around not delivering the hard messages, especially as we're going into review season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With the, I, isn't there a book on radical candor? Yeah, so Kim Scott, who worked at Google, they, they mentioned the book in the chapter, It's one of my favorite frameworks because she says in order to engage in radical candor, which is like the most effective type of communication, you have to both care personally and challenge directly. And the funny thing about that is you're usually really good at one or the other. Like you default to one or the other. 
Like if you're listening to this right now, there's probably one that's obvious. Yeah. Like I, I tend to care a little bit too much and be soft in my messaging, or I tend to challenge first and I don't really, I might hurt people's feelings. And the, the crazy thing about caring personally is it's not about how you feel. It's about how other people think you feel, right? If they feel like you care about them, not if you actually care, because you could care deeply. And if you're just challenging directly and, and you haven't, again, done, built that envelope of trust, demonstrated that you care to the person in a way that they understand and appreciate that you care about them, it's if you don't. And, and so that's always challenging. <laughs> if you're a challenge directly kind of person, that, that's much more straightforward. And to get a group of people to feel like you care personally about them is, is much less scalable. Like it's harder to do. Different people have different preferences. And yeah. so that's the one I think that's much more risky. It's definitely got gotten me in trouble before, Robert. You know, the it's that gap between what you actually feel and versus like what the person feels that's receiving whatever the communication, the feedback. And a lot of times you know that you care deeply and personally about this individual and so then you're challenging them directly, but then if that if that person doesn't feel that way, like if if they if they're not perceiving the the thing that you're <clears throat> feeling as the communicator, there can be like a huge, huge issue that's there, right? Because then then you're just a jerk to them. Yeah. Right. And so that's very it's very important that it's not just that you care. It's it's important that the person who you're communicating with is very clear on the level of care. Yeah, would they tell their friend that you care about them unprompted, right? Yeah, because it, it's such a crazy concept to me. It's like if you could care so deeply, right? And if the, if the person you're talking to doesn't feel like you care about them, it is the same thing as you not caring about them. Mm. It's as if you don't. <laughs> For all practical purposes, you don't care about them. And that's such a weird, weird gap. But I, And I think we probably don't, even someone who's like super... We call it high red and whole brain, but super extroverted, in touch with human emotion, however you want to call it, who typically excel at having people feel good around them. Uh, it's still like we don't, we're not as intentional. I don't think anybody is as they could be around. Does this person really feel like I care about them? And then you've opened the door to being able to engage in direct feedback, challenge, direct challenge, those kind of things. I, I definitely lean towards the, giving direct feedback as opposed to expressing oh yeah care and i have i have absolutely been a jerk to people sad to say yeah. It, but yeah it's uh and the funny thing is you could have used the same words and the same tone but if you had cared personally quote unquote first you mm -hmm. would not have been perceived as a jerk you'd be perceived as a straight shooter it's yeah. like that line is very interesting yeah. one is constantly shifting too <laughs> so it's that's right it's hard enough to do one on one but this whole notion of psychological safety and Bill being a coach, it's like he's he's creating high high functioning teams, like high powered teams, and like trying to create an environment of trust and psychological safety on a team. That's like orders of magnitude, orders of magnitude. more difficult right. than yeah. than doing this one on one because even if you invest equal amounts of time with everybody on the team, 
it doesn't mean when you get everybody in the room, they're they're going to be in a place where they feel safe and cared for. And man, that's it seems like an impossible task to try to to try to build and establish and maintain that degree of of trust amongst individuals and a team. That just takes constant effort, care, and feeding. I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. I'm probably going to get the math wrong, but if you have two people, the lines of communication that connect two people is one. Mm. If you have three people, I think it's three, mm-hmm. right? Yep. A to B, A to C, C to B, there's three. If you have four, it's six. And so you add one person and you double the communication path. Like there's this exponential growth. Mm-hmm. So if you have a team mm-hmm. of 10, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Like it's to do impossible. what you just said is, yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. And so then you have to, you have to distribute that out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. If it makes you feel better, Charles. So we, we just had this uh, leadership retreat for our, our client. And one of the things we did to build trust, this was such a brilliant thing, Stan's idea, is everybody had to come to the dinner with a gift for everyone else that was under $5. Right. <laughs> and so, and you had to say why. We, had a really fun time with it but one of the gifts i got was a stapler and it's like yeah robert you you are good, really good at holding the team together but you have sharp edges <laughs> and i was like yeah that's uh, that feels right feels right to me oh goodness yeah you know me really well i'm not sure if i should apologize i didn't but i i don't think you should like i i i don't know but i, I don't think i've been i've been cut by your sharp edge yeah, see, though, the, here's the thing, too. I, I, I run into this, like, for instance, when I have to give feedback on people that are wired just like me, I have to say, like, anything this person does that other people will perceive as annoying, I'm just not going to care. So I'm, I, I can tell you all the things I like, which are probably all the things that are my preference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, I don't, like, we've always been pretty direct with each other. And, but I don't know, we, I, you and I hit it off pretty quickly, too. I remember, like, 11 years ago, when I started, you were one of the first people I had lunch with. And so I do feel like we had that, we had a good relationship pretty early. So I don't, yeah. I don't know. That's an interesting, yeah. yeah, interesting question, but I do worry about that balance sometimes. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to be a, what's the, Brian said this the other day, like a movie critic. You're, are you a movie critic or a movie maker, right? Like, are you actually trying to solve the problem and move things forward? Or are you just like sitting in, mm. in the back mm-hmm. criticizing? And I definitely don't want to just criticize. And I think it's, it is a skill, a, a very rare skill to be able to challenge things directly in a, in a productive way, especially when the stakes are high and, and things like that. Yeah. yeah. When, when you were talking about the, the stapler, which I love. Yeah, I Maybe think good. of the, the Machiavelli quote in The Prince, it's better to be feared than to be loved if one cannot be both. It's like, I, I just take it as the stapler means that you're both. People love you and <laughs> they fear you at times because you've got sharp edges. <laughs> There's a Michael Scott quote from The Office who, it's like, would I rather be feared or loved? He's like, well, I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. <laughs> I think is what <laughs> Oh, man, I don't think I'd rather be feared. That sounds, that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. But there you go. <laughs> yeah, not sure if we should aspire to be like what Machiavelli said. I don't know. Kind of yeah, I don't. I, Your take? Me personally, no, I don't. I don't think so. But yeah, yeah, you know, not maybe not even for anyone in like a knowledge worker, like space. I don't know. I don't know enough about him, but it does feel like there's this like 
pow- exploiting power dynamic kind of thing that mm-hmm. like maybe if, there, if something was like really short term or I'm, I'm sure there's scenarios where it's the most effective approach. It's just counter to how I feel like I'm wired. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of want to go to one of the one of the principles or insights that they have in this chapter, because I think it's the one that I I hesitate to say, oh, yeah, this is obvious. Like yeah, the, the rest, it. the rest of them are like, okay, obviously, yes, you should, you should be an active listener when you talk to people, and and there are other things like that. But it's actually the first one that they talk about here is only coach the coachable, only coach the coachable. Oh, yeah. Oh my God. What uh, Igor? You, I, you disagree? Oh my! I agree so badly with oh, okay. this, <laughs> this principle. I didn't know yeah. where you're going with that, Igor. Go ahead. There's there's nothing worse than than trying to give energy and coaching and whatever else to somebody who just doesn't care about it, who doesn't doesn't have a learning mindset, doesn't have the humility to accept feedback, doesn't have the will to change their behavior it's it's got to be one of the most frustrating things uh, as a leader and so yeah like learning when to cut bait in that sort of situation man like brilliant yeah there's there's another sort of analog i want to add to that too maybe if maybe we can talk about both at the same time but there's this i guess default mode where if you have a team and let's just say you have five people on your team and one is a problem So underperforming against some objective standards and not really demonstrating a self-awareness or willingness to like change anything about it. And then you have a very high performer, like a 10Xer crushing it. And then everyone else in the middle, but mostly meeting or exceeding expectations, right? Like the, I think the default mode is we spend an inordinate amount of time and energy and maybe frustration, like working on the problem and at the expense of the 10Xer and also the rest of the team who, through some nudging and intentionality, could double their productivity, right? It's just like, but everything gets centered into this, the the lower performer. And also that drags the team down because they all know about it too. And so there's this, I don't know if it's a corollary to only coach the coachable, but not only does it take so much extra energy to get a linear gain where you could maybe give half the energy for an exponential gain on the other part of the team, but it, you, you get sucked into it as a, as a leader almost by default. Hmm. Do y'all experience that? Is that? Does that make sense? I, I think so, yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to understand, like, what is, the, what is the draw? Like, why do we focus so much on the, the, the underperforming? I think it's out of necessity. It's like that that creates a lot of risk and a lot of drag and it 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 it, it challenges the ability to accomplish what what is needed and uh, yeah and, and and then it it's like can is there a point I guess there's also like a point where it makes sense to remove this person from the team maybe find a different mm-hmm. role those kind of things but we drag that on so long it's and it ends up hurting everybody including yeah. the person yeah. you're trying to help mm-hmm. We've seen that people just are in the wrong role. It's energy draining for them over three years. It just gets bad, yeah, right? Yeah. And so there's, there is this like window when things are early and you're trying to get 
do what you can to get someone up to speed. And then there's this period where you're just basically it's lost effort. Like it's nothing's going to change. I think it's, I think it's, it's interesting. There's a story in here about coach, the coachable where Bill asks somebody that is talking to a question. It's like, are you coachable? And depending upon the right or wrong answer there, Bill is going to decide if he's going to hire the person, let him join the team, end up coaching him. I I think that's probably the right orientation up front. It's like before you get people to join your team, you should assess, are they coachable? And if not, do whatever you can to not have them join the team, which, which sounds which sounds harsh, I'm sure, to, to some people, but it, it does become such, such an energy drain and an energy suck for all, all people involved, right? If that person ends up getting on the team and underperforming and even if they're performing well, right? Oftentimes, those that are not coachable have this, have a quality of arrogance and uh, lack self-awareness and and even if they're performing well, that can create dysfunction on the team, too. So it's like, yeah, be really choosy up front before you bring somebody into the team, so that way, once they're there, you can, you can, you can effectively coach all all the teammates, as opposed to mitigating the damage of one one person. Yeah, and it even said in the last chapter about how to let people go with dignity and, and things like that. Part of the I think thing we're maybe lacks on collectively as leaders is that idea of like some some we wait way too long to make a move and it just hurts everybody. It's not kind to anybody. It just it's a path of least resistance because it feels harsh and it sucks like it's it's not fun. Yeah. And even the feedback that Bill gave uh, I think a high school soccer player right where she really wanted to play division 1 soccer going to college and he said, yeah, you probably could, but why don't you just go to division three school with a really good engineering program? You'll be a star on the team. You'll get a great education. This will be a much better experience for you. Malcolm Gladwell calls it the big fish, small pond. Mm -hmm. Like it's much better to be a big fish in a small pond, he would argue, than a small fish in a big pond. Yeah. And that those are, these are, these things are such, so counterintuitive. Like if you have someone that's coachable, but not really meeting expectations for a role, like finding a role where they can thrive. Even if it's the equivalent of going to a Division three school, you're getting the most out of them. And then it has a corollary with another thing the Boston Celtics coach, I think, talked about, which was if you focus on trust with the team and everyone on the team wants to be there, when they're on the court, they're going to do everything they can on the court to stay on the team. And that was that was also not something that I had really put together before either because I was usually just thinking trust begets trust. It's a positive thing. You're putting positive incremental improvements onto the team, the team's going to get better, obviously, right? Mm. But this idea of people that want to be on the team perform better because they want to stay on the team mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. is something, like, I, that's been true for me. Like, I'm, I'm definitely more engaged when I don't want to leave the team that I'm on. Yeah, yeah. And so that was an interesting, like, all these things are related when you zoom mm-hmm. out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know who said this, but this is related to our prior discussion around system one, system two thinking. I, I think somebody was saying you should hire slowly, fire quickly. Yeah. You know, it's that it's that it's the same sort of thing. It's like be really picky and choosy who you bring on board to your team, but also be really quick to cut your losses, right? And say, you know what, this isn't working out. Let's let's 
make a change. I think that's hard to do in certain contexts, you know? Oh my gosh, it is so hard to do. Yeah. yeah. So, 100%. Both, on gotta, both sides. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 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 I can think of several times where really had to go out of my way to create a new role to allow somebody to leverage their strengths and thrive, right? And get out of this vicious cycle of underperformance and self-doubt and and uh, but that's because I I didn't have I didn't have the power or authority to quote unquote fire them, right? There was somebody on my team, like I I had to make it work and and we did, right? But it, it took some intention and effort and kind of an open dialogue, which kind of goes back to the whole trust thing, right? It's like in that situation, everybody's vulnerable and creating an environment where you can talk about that stuff openly one-on-one, but also as a team, right? Because the team has to be aware of why is the status quo changing? And, and th- those are probably some of my better leadership moments is navigating some of those tough challenges, but it is tough. It is absolutely tough. Yeah. The, the other kind of next step on, I think, the story here was a football player that on the team bill was coaching through a late interception team lost. The quarterback was really, really upset after the game. And, and he said basically, like, hey, this was a team loss. Like, we all lost the game. Like, head up kind of thing. And this idea of being ultra encouraging in the face of failure, once, like, it, it's such a weird thing because, again, we we get too soft around failure mostly hmm. not not really willing to give hard feedback but then there's this like once it once it's understood cuz sometimes people are going to be harder on themselves than you could be anyway like they know they messed up once once it's like you see that that understanding is there coming in with like a really heavy dose of encouragement i think is also very powerful yeah i of all the the kind of the different insights that are in this chapter I think this one is the hardest for me. Be the evangelist for courage. S- oh yeah. 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 I think so. Like I which is interesting because I I generally think I'm fairly optimistic person. Like I always tend to think that there's a way out of a difficult situation and that things are going to work out in the end. But I, in reading that, I was like, man, this is not like I I do not see myself as an evangelist. Oh I, yeah. You know. Believe in people more than they believe in themselves. I I I have gotten advice in the past on like give people a standard to live up to, which mm-hmm. I think is important for leaders. I, th- this yeah. is a little bit different. It is, yeah. Than yeah. that, yeah. Because I, I don't, I don't have a problem setting higher than, than what is comfortable expectations. Like that, that's not a challenge for me. But pushing them to be more courageous and to take more risks to try to meet those expectations, I think this is where I have the most work to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. What about you? Is there any anything here that you took away as like, hey, this is something that I could probably work to improve on? I know we didn't cover all of the. Yeah, I've been pieces. thinking. I've been thinking about a couple things lately, and then this book just made it maybe more confusing for for just me. But this, the idea of stories, and I think what Bill said was like, stick it in their ear, right? Like, tell tell a story, don't tell people what to do. I have found maybe over as a theme like over the past three years, much more so. And I don't know if I have recency bias. I don't know if like our shift to remote work mm. has had anything to play. I don't know. Like I, I had a, I got a new role in 2020. So like right before the three months before everything shut down. So I, I, I'm not 
100% sure, but I do think a strength of mine is the ability to create stories and narratives and hype people up and be funny and bring some levity to a situation and really like ease into my, the joke, like my running persona in 2019 was like, Hey, I don't want to talk about work. Like, I just want to hang out right wherever we were at. It was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, I just want to hang out. Like, I don't, I don't want to talk business. That kind of thing. <laughs> and, and I have felt like lately I've been more directive, reach in a little bit more. And there's so much like complexity and uncertainty right now. I don't know if that's, maybe it's appropriate. Maybe it's not, but this, the chapter was a nice, like Bill, even like they're hiring this guy at Google and the only thing Bill cares about in the the whole interview is like answering one simple question. And and he had the benefit also of like everyone else did all the hard technical interviews. He talked to people that knew, like, yeah. it was, okay, the guy's smart enough, right? But that's still this idea of like, I'm just going to come in and focus on this. Like one thing that I'm uniquely positioned to focus on is interesting. So I have, I did feel like a little, kind of like when you hold a mirror up, right? And it, it exposes things. I did feel like after reading this chapter, I could do a much better job on more hands-off type approach, letting, letting, mm. being less telly, telly about stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think I really reach in and like do things, but I am much more directive than than I could or should be, I think. So do you think it's saying nothing or saying something different? Like when you say get more hands-off and not more telly, it's like, is the silence is the right strategy or does it depend on the situation? What are you thinking there? Could be maybe more one-on-one discussions. I, I do find myself trying to, needing to, I, maybe I do feel like I need to. So maybe there's something there, like grab the reins a little bit when we're in a group discussion, those kind of things. And there's, I've gotten this feedback before, but it was years ago, but it's like, hey, just because you're in a meeting doesn't mean you have to like, drive this thing to resolution Mm, in mm -hmm. this meeting, right? And I'm wired that way. So I think maybe giving some space to let things play out and get off the rails a little bit and then lean on people individually to to step up and and do things, I I think would be a better, more certainly more complex. But like, I think there's there's some like, some team growth and people being, like people can do things better than me anyway. So like letting letting people who are better at stuff express themselves in their work. Like there, there's some, I think, lost value that could be captured. Yeah. You may be going from like a B minus to an A kind of thing or a C plus to an A minus or something. Like I, I think it's probably like a letter grade, you know, better if things are getting scored that way. Yeah, yeah. It's just so easy to grab the reins, Charles. It is. It's it very feels tempting. Good. It feels so good. <laughs> it, does, it does feel good and it feels very productive and valuable but yeah that's something else i need to work on too it's just it's like hey this isn't my meeting so then is this something that i care so much about that i'm going to go out of my way to try to influence the outcome that's like i need to do a better job of that and if the answer is yes well then okay (laughs) at that point i should do what i can to try to influence the outcome but i think I, i bias towards that even though it's like you know what this is not my thing Right. I, I haven't been asked to do this. This is somebody else's thing. I, I should just let it play out. And and yeah, after the fact, I can I can offer my constructive feedback in a one-on-one setting. Yeah. I need to get better at that too. I'm really conflicted there, Charles, because I do see you as somebody 
who tends towards that behavior. And I really respect that about you. Hmm. Like you're, you're in a situation for the most part, you can say like, Hey, this isn't the thing that I've been asked to do. This isn't quote my problem, but, but you, you go after it anyway. Right. Like you, and, and to me, that's, that's an expression of like extreme ownership. I probably talked about Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. on the podcast before. If you see something, say something. And even if it's, even if it's not quote, like your area, I I, I, I don't know. I, I think your bias there in my perception of it anyway, is, is more positive, much more positive than than negative. Hmm. I I appreciate that, Igor. I, I think I I have received that feedback before. Like, Hey, Charles, we appreciate this about you. And, and so it's probably just the right, finding the right balance. Well, there's that. And then also being good at something and being world-class at something, there's a gap there. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. think, because I agree with Igor and I, I think in a short period of time, people could go from Charles is really good at this to like Charles is the best I've ever seen at this. Mm. Right. And and maybe that's what you're, you're feeling too, is like, there's, there's still room room to get better. Yeah. 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 I I think part of the unlocking there as we're reading the chapter and maybe I'm, this is again, just some sort of recency bias is like doubling down on the radical candor idea of like really spending time, like making sure that you're building relationships with the, your team and, they're feeling like they're cared for so that you you got to come in and be much more direct because if you're letting the reins go and there's multiple initiatives going on, like one or two start going awry at the same time, like the thing can, can sprawl out of control pretty quickly. And so being able to go and deliver some direct messaging around how things are going so that the, you can help the people on your team course correct in yeah. enough time to where they don't feel like it's they're having to swerve out of the ditch, right? I think is important. So there's probably like as much as of delegation is a superpower. I think this idea of following it up with radical candor and really helping like distill that ownership. Like th- those things are related in, in a much more like tightly coupled way than than maybe I had thought about before we just started talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. They they talk a little bit about this in the chapter, so it, it also, I think, depends on the type of intervention. And I, I think what they say in the chapter is most of the time, Bill did not give a solution or even like an opinion. He continued to ask questions until somebody sort of came to their own better conclusion, if that makes sense. Or he would just say like, "Hey, this sucks. Like, this is yeah. not good." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's yeah, yeah. the d- challenge directly, right? But, but yeah, like, but that's still not offering a solution. Like that's exactly that's yeah that's framing. If you want to think about it, right? Like, there's that story about the CEO who didn't lose money, and like they're all pretty happy about it. And then Bill came in with his accountant hat. And like made fun of him basically and said, like, hey, you're the most successful CEO in the valley who didn't make any money. That's right. For the company, yeah. right? <laughs> and so the guy and was it, like, it shakes oh, okay. it shakes people out of like it defines that new standard. It's a reframing, a re anchoring, like it it shakes them into like a, looking at the problem a different way, and then they can go and and sort it because they're coachable. Yeah, this man. Is, I, I think this, you're right, Igor. 
but this is crazy. Like we could not do that. Like we could not do that in our roles, in our organization, right? Like there's, I, I feel like there's not, there's not a place for somebody like Bill. I, I don't know. I don't yeah, know, guys. We, we, would like, have, we would have bounced Bill Campbell a long time ago at our detriment. Yeah, absolutely. He, he would not have lasted long. We are absolutely. not a coachable organization. I, That's right. I, there, there, yeah. there was somebody who I felt was Bill Campbell-esque that, that we did bounce there you go. from our organization. So. Yeah, we, we would not have been. Like, Bill Campbell could have been a, an external coach that we hired to coach some of our executives, yeah. mm-hmm. but he, could, he would not have survived and that's not that is not a ding on Bill. That's a that's a flaw on our yeah. side. Yeah, I, it's it's just hard for me to. It's like can can I go in there and say, hey, this isn't my meeting, but this thing that you just presented it sucks, and then just sit back and not 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 explain why or help the solution either in the meeting or after the fact. It's like that. Bill is either special. <laughs> I'm trying. You should try it, Charles. All right, I'll, I'll take the, the bullet. People will right. gift you staplers. We're, we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna run this experiment where where Charles tries ra- like extreme radical candor, dude. Yeah. I'm I'm telling you, Charles, I feel you, man, because I I feel like the people that report to me directly are I could go have a tough conversation with. I couldn't mm-hmm. use the same words Bill uses, but I'm not Bill, so that's yeah. fine. But I yep. could, I could say, hey, this is not going well. Yep. I'm I'm we're about to leave the call. I'm about to go to this meeting. Two weeks ago when we had it, there was this presentation about a group doing a thing that I thought was just a lot of wasted energy that didn't really help anybody. I didn't say anything. And everyone was like, yeah, good job, good job, good mm-hmm, job. Mm-hmm. And they're like, look look at all the activity and churn that we have. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but that's not, we're not really pushing forward any of our goals here. It just feels good. It looks cool. Mm. It's a luxury, right? Which yep. is fine, If but you're treating it as accretive to the business when it yeah so i just didn't say anything either so i don't know maybe that means some means i'm not qualified for my role I'm, i i do need to think about that and and maybe like having one-on-one conversations outside i, I don't think calling it out in the in public mm-hmm. is helpful and the book says that that's a bad idea history yeah. plays that out the data are in there yeah and so i think there's there's certainly a style adjustment as we continue to work on our careers i think that does need to happen i just we got to figure that out. It it is pretty extreme. I got to run after this, but Bill operates at two extremes really, really well. Like he care, absolutely hundred percent cares about the people that he works with, and deeply the whole person. And he's able to be aggressively tenacious about giving negative feedback. Those are two extremes that I think he is world class at. There's no way that I'll be able to do that. And that's okay. Like, I, I yeah. think I can, if I can just get a little bit better at both of those ends of the spectrums, I'll, I'll be a better leader. That's the point of the book. We're not trying yeah. to be Bill Campbell. Yeah. He's three standard deviations on both of those. Yeah. If you could go one on both sides, you're going you're gonna to capture 90% of the benefit. Yeah, yep. I agree. Yep. Cool, man. My goal now is to devastate people through all of the feedback that I give. Yeah, well, good luck with that, buddy. <laughs> that's not the lesson of it. Nice, obviously nice knowing you, Igor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all. Hey, I know we're, we're running over. Good to chat. Great to get back in the book. Thanks for your time, y'all. Yeah. Hey, thanks, everyone. Take See care. You. See you soon. Bye. Bye.